Today we have part two of undercover architect Amelia Lee on to talk to us about buying with functionality in mind rather than trend. We left yesterday talking about how we should really consider the structure of the home, things like the orientation, the size of the doors and windows, the quality of the floors, ceiling heights, etc. Today we continue on the same theme but with more depth. Welcome to Real Estate Right, where we talk to top experts on how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your hosts are Grant Kennedy and Sue Langida. So essentially, in terms of decor, hardwood floors, big tick if you see hard, like proper hardwood, solid, you know, Tassie oak or... Um, yeah, I... Uh, I uh, natural hardwood, of course, is, um, you know, solid hardwood is a fantastic flooring. Yeah. Um, and it's something that can obviously be sanded and refinished, um, yeah. you know, so that you can always upgrade it. Engineered floorboards can be good too. Um, and, you know, particularly if they've, they're a decent quality engineered floorboard because they'll have, you know, generally two or three sands in them based on the product. Yeah. Um, tiled floors. I, I think that tiles are really underrated. People think that they're yeah. too hard, that they're, you know, challenging to live with, but I actually think that they can be a really, yeah, well, it depends on the, Tiles are actually, if tiles are um, over the top of a concrete slab in a house that has been designed properly, they're actually really good for thermal mass. So they will actually do a good job of maintaining the indoor air temperatures over and above what a timber floor will do. Um, So I think that it, you know, combined with looking at how the house is oriented and how the house is designed to optimise the sun across the seasons, you can actually find that tiles can be a fantastic finish. I also think that polished concrete and those kinds of things can be great too. I know that a lot of people, um, some people love it and some people think it's too hard um, or too industrial. Uh, I know that we, a house that we had when my kids were little, we actually polished the floors and found that it was was no harder to live on and the floor was an even temperature the whole year. So it was great in terms of the thermal comfort of the house. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm seeing that, you know, vinyl floorboards, um, they're over time, they're actually pulling apart at the joins, laminate and, um, vinyl and hybrid floors. You can see that they've been, um, that they're also not necessarily performing over the long term. And, you know, when you go into a house, have a look around the kitchen to see whether they've, there's a bead at the bottom of the plate because it means that the flooring doesn't run underneath the kitchen itself and if you want to replace that kitchen then you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with the floors because there'll be these great big cutouts in the floor and um and you'll have to find something to match or have to replace the entire floor or you'll be fixed with where the kitchen has to go um, based on its current position i saw a new product the other day called cushion stone have you seen that no what's it was it looked like a travertine but it was it was a vinyl, but it was, yeah, so it was like, it looked like travertine, but it was vinyl and it was like cushion, and they called it cushion stone. So it was nicer to walk on, um, but again, it's toxic probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, I mean, there are some, there, there definitely are some vinyls that are good performers environmentally. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also kind of linos and, you know, products like mammalium, which can be fantastic environmentally um, and and fantastic underfoot as well if you do want something that's a little bit more resilient. Um, I think it's really interesting. You know, carpet was such a big thing in houses in the 70s and 80s. 
Um, but we've moved so away from it because it's hard to, hard to keep clean or we see that it's not long term or, you know, it can get moths in it and things like that. But, you know, I grew up in houses that always had 100% wool berber carpet that took a huge amount of punishment and always yeah. was able to, you know, come up and look great. So, um, and I think that we underestimate what carpet can do for a space in terms of acoustics yeah. and comfort and that coziness as well. Yeah. Um, so remember when you're looking through a house, if it's got lots of hard surfaces and it's a big open plan space, it's going to be really noisy to live in. And it's like that thing you were talking about earlier. If you've got a stair void that connects an upstairs living space, open plan to a downstairs living place, um, living space, open plan, all of that noise is going to travel vertically through the house. So yeah. if you've got a TV in on one space, but you know, kids watching video games in another space, how are you going to acoustically separate those things? And yeah. what are you going to have to add in terms of soft furnishings or doors or things like that to be mm. able to um, get that acoustic separation? So, yeah. yeah. So what should we be considering in terms of the floor plan? Obviously the workable orientation, anything else we should be thinking about with floor plans? Yeah. So for, for family homes, I always recommend that you look at the functionality and at the flexibility of spaces. Um, yeah. It's really essential that you as I said I mentioned earlier that you test how you're going to live in that space so whether that's by mentally rehearsing it whether it's by sitting down with a copy of the floor plan and looking at how your furniture is going to be positioned um, yeah. you know don't wait till you'll move in to figure all of that out you want to obviously look at how do you get that indoor outdoor connection working so that you can multitask you know that some of the best yeah. things can happen so that you can be doing more than one thing at once particularly if you've got young kids um, or you're you know somebody that is very busy, which most people are these days. So that ability yeah. to be able to have dinner going whilst you're having a conversation, whilst you're watching kids play outside, whilst you might be keeping an eye on the news, all of that, you know, is set up by how the floor plan is working for you. Um, you definitely want to, I'm a big um, believer in looking at sort of how you enter into a home and do you have that corridor of like a hospital corridor where there's all those doorways yeah. off the hall as you walk down and you can see the toilet and you can see um, you know, into service spaces. It's um, mm. whenever I'm working uh, and teaching homeowners about home design, I always encourage them to sort of really think about that hallway space so that they pair it back and make it as uncluttered as possible and that any entries into service areas are sort of pulled away from the hallway. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, the house I grew up in, the bath, you opened the front door and the bathroom was at, immediately at the end of the hallway and the toilet was visible as soon as you opened the door. So nice. I grew up in a house where my mum was constantly screaming at us, close the bathroom door. Cause she hated if she yeah. opened the front door and the bathroom door was open behind her. And so yeah. And when I worked for Mervac for a long time, it was a was one of our key design criteria. The toilet always needs to be to be behind the door, and a, mm. a floor plan always got rejected if you hadn't put the toilet behind the door. So, mm. um, so yeah, I, I really encourage looking at that sort of layout of the floor plan so that it really, it really accommodates that family flow. You know, where are you going to come in and put your things down if you come in from the garage or you come in the front door? Where are the kids going to put all of their books and bags and bits and shoes and bits and pieces. What was that? Sorry. Sports equipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Where's all the sporting gear going to go? Where, how easy mm -hmm. is it to dump all the swimming gear into the bar, into the laundry, you know, as they arrive home? Um, how are their, the kids' bedrooms arranged? Is there enough separation from your main living spaces? So if you've got little ones, you're going to be able to put them down at night, you know, earlier and get them to sleep yeah. whilst other activity, you're not going to have to tiptoe around the house. And I think yeah. too, 
a lot of young parents in particular um, worry about having all of the kids, all of the bedrooms together so that they can get up to a baby in the middle of the night quite easily. Mm. But remember your kids are older, much longer than they are young, you know, they're, yeah. they're so don't, I, you know, if you are looking at a house, think about how you're going to have separation of your bedroom space from their bedroom space over the long term. Sometimes that mm. might be just by there's perhaps, you know, a range of bathrooms between them or there's a living space between them. But don't, yeah. I also, you know, I'm not, I'm not against the master bedroom necessarily being on a different level to the kids' bedrooms as long as the kids' bedrooms, um, as they can safely navigate stairs and things like that. So and you might just find that in the short term you have a baby gate and um, use baby monitors and things like yeah. that. So. Yeah, I see a lot of designs now where um, they've got the flexible, they've got a bedroom, main bedroom downstairs or upstairs. So, for instance, when the kids are little, you're upstairs with them. And and then when they're getting that, you know, a bit more independent stage, and then you move downstairs and you may have like a daughter and two boys. So the daughter gets the main bedroom upstairs or they use that as the guest bedroom when the overseas guests come in. And, you know, they've they've got that flexible floor plan where they can adjust it to the way their lives are as their family grows. Yeah, that aging, that 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 downstairs, you know, um, dedicated ensuite bedroom is actually really good for aging in place, and it's something that a lot of homes I'm seeing and a lot of homeowners include now, where it is that thing. It'll be the ensuite guest bedroom for when mm. you know a lot of people uh, when we could still travel might have overseas um, visitors that come and stay for a few weeks at a time, and they want to give them their own dedicated space that's out of sort of the family throng. Same thing, yes. you might have, you know, not everybody's living near their parents these days, so they might actually have their parents come and stay, um, the grandparents come yeah. and stay for a while, or it might be that they actually have a parent move in with them. Um, mm. And we're seeing that happen a lot more too, that parents are actually moving in with their families and they need that sort of dedicated ensuite space and be able to access everything all on one level. Um, yeah. And then longer term, that can be great for when you may want to move downstairs and be, you know, sort of have everything on one level. I mean, I did, a, I remember doing a house design a few years ago for an older couple who had moved from one side of the country to the other to be closer to their, their kids and, the, and their grandkids. And they literally designed a two story house that um, everything that they needed was all on one story all on that lower level. And then upstairs was just some secondary bedrooms and a bathroom for when the grandkids came to stay. And um, upstairs was very minimal in its foot footprint because yeah. they knew that downstairs was going to be where they were spending all of their time. So it, it is that thing of how can you, how can you choose a house that's going to build in the most amount of flexibility for you? And that doesn't necessarily mean it has lots of rooms or has no. lots of extra space. It just means that those spaces have some adaptability and flexibility and you can see them being used for a few different things. You know, so many people are building these theatre rooms and these multimedia spaces that are these dark internal rooms that are basically just large storerooms because they have no natural light, no natural ventilation. They, they're actually a, a symptom of a poorly designed floor plan and mm. then they're kidding them out with terrace seating and big recliner chairs and, you know, and it becomes this single purpose room that has cost tens of thousands of dollars to include in their floor plan. Um, that and they, sometimes like a quarter of a million dollars worth of stereo equipment. Yeah. And it's, and it's used for one purpose, maybe one or two nights a week, you know, so it's, we've got to stop choosing, building, buying, renovating houses with that mindset, you know, mm. houses used to be Australia's guilty of building amongst the largest houses in the world. Um, and Yet the houses that, you know, you and I grew up in were much smaller generally and worked mm -hmm. a lot harder and 
went a lot further for the money that we spent on them. So it's, it's less to heat and cool. It's less to clean. Uh, it's less to maintain. And it saves you money for, to be able to do things like go on holidays and, you know, have enjoyable times where it, it, a lot of people are really overextending themselves in order to stretch their budget across really big houses um, yeah. where there's a lot of these single purpose rooms that don't really serve their everyday life. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> um, so we've talked about due diligence with buyers advocates as well as um, today. So how can we apply our due diligence to building or buying when it comes to the practical nature of the property? Yeah, so I am a big believer that there's some specific things that you need to look at before you even bother going to the open inspection. Um, yeah. And it can really help you iron out uh, and save your time when you're on the hunt for, for your future home. So one yeah. of them is to actually look at the council rules for the site. So understanding what are the town planning rules and what's the zoning in the area. So not just the for that immediate um, house that you're looking at, but what's zoning in around it. Because so many times I've seen people buy houses and not understand that, you know, the neighbour or even a street across is zoned for multi-residential. Um, it's all mm -hmm. full of individual houses at the moment, but it's earmarked for future development. And all of a sudden they're dealing, they're living through massive construction, um, you know, activity and the property that they're in has been devalued because it's, um, you know, it's a single residential and it might not be zoned for the multi-res that, that, yeah. that the others are and have been able to leverage that to a developer, but it's, got, it's impacted by its proximity to all those things. So mm. really don't, you know, don't, it's just, it's really worthwhile that you check out. You can find out most council um, information online, look at your local council planning information, speak to a town planner, get some information about the town planning. I've actually had a um, guest on before. His name's Frank Perry. He owns a, a website called uh, townplanning.com.au and he's basically got all the council information uh, and even going as far as heritage and, and titles and all that stuff, all in one spot. So you just have to do a, a, an address search and it's it's got it all there for you. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, just, it can yeah, it can vary quite considerably across Australia and it can vary quite considerably from state to state, council to council, street to street, even lot to lot. So just because your neighbour's done something or you've seen that the neighbour of that property's done something, don't necessarily um, under, expect that you'll be able to do it on your property. Yeah. Also, don't listen to the real estate agent about what they tell you is possible on the property. Yeah. Um, I've seen lots of real estate agents not give current advice about town planning information. So... That's really essential. Um, and then, of course, doing things like checking the services, uh, checking, you know, getting information, if you can, about what services are in the street, what services are on the lot. Um, lots of people buy properties with easements on them and not necessarily understand what those easements mean or the impact that they might have on any future development that they do on the property. And so it's really essential that you understand the conditions of the easement and you don't just wait for it to come out during conveyancing. And... Um, and then if you're planning on renovating, just understanding what the potential is for you to do the things that you want to. Um, I often tell a story of our second, our third property that we bought um, was a was an old Queenslander, an Art Deco Queenslander in Brisbane. And the people that we bought it from had actually bought it thinking that they could knock down and uh, rebuild it, demolish it and build a new house. And they started that process only to find out that it wasn't possible and then they'd ended up putting this house up for rent and buying the property behind and then ended up putting the house that we bought on the market. And 
um, if they'd done a bit of homework before they started the process, they would have seen that based on the age of the house and the conditions in the area, they were never going to, the only way they'd get permission to knock it down is to take it to land environment court. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of homework that can just make such a difference in the decisions that you make around buying. And then also what the, the potential value of that property can actually be. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just necessary homework, I think, and um, helps before you even, I think when a lot of the times we're building and renovating and buying, the number of choices that are available to you are completely overwhelming. So my work is always, how do we narrow down the amount of choices that are available to us by making some, doing some research so we can be strategic about the pathway that we're choosing through this. And I think that when you do that research, it immediately limits down the number of choices that are available and then you can see whether those are in aligned with your goals and what you're seeking to achieve overall. Definitely some wise words there because um, a lot of people just go in with the heartstrings pulled and, and oh, I have to have this and, and you know, it's you've got to be objective, don't you? You've got to stand yeah. back. And it is hard because it's such an emotional decision. Um, mm. But, yeah, I know that, you know, Sometimes you have to act so quickly, particularly if it's a competitive property when you're buying. So yeah. you can often do a lot of homework before even that open inspection. And I mean, I know the third house that we bought, we had that, which was the house that had been, was being sold because they thought they could knock it down and rebuild it. So I did had we'd been looking in the area. I'd been doing research before we'd sort of like whilst we were selling our last property, I'd been doing research on the streets that we wanted to look at and the specific sites within that street based on the orientation, based on the scope to improve the property. We knew we were going to be renovating it. And it was really a process of when this particular property came up, I did those checks. I looked at the town planning information. I looked at the orientation. I looked at the size. I looked at what was possible. I then looked yeah. at RP data information. I looked, made estimations about what we could potentially sell a finished property for on it. And I know that this is a lot of my developer experience background. It's that it's, but it's a basic feasibility study. And then it means that when you, we, we went for, we got an inspection two days before it was open publicly. So we went on the first day, we had a look around, it sort of ticked all the boxes. We came home and I did a couple of sketches and th thought about what would be possible. Saturday yes. for the first open inspection, we went back and had a second look at it and we put an offer in that afternoon and had the contract accepted the following day. And you have to act that quickly sometimes with competitive properties. So you mm. want to have done the homework before you get, so you're not having to do that reactively in the moment. Yeah. Yes. It's all about being prepared, isn't it? So anyway, there's a lot to think about to consider when buying or building a property. We really need to get it right, don't we? So thank you so much for your time, Amelia. I hope you enjoyed your time on Real Estate Right. That's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. That's okay. Now, Undercover Architect is an amazing resource of information for those starting or moving forward with their property journey. Would you like to tell us more about your pod, uh, podcast and website? Yeah, sure. So uh as you said, Undercover Architect is uh, its a business that operates mainly online to help people get it right when they're designing, building or renovating their family homes. The uh, website is full of resources to help you whatever stage of your journey you're at and wherever you're building or renovating. Podcast um, at the time of this recording has been going for about three and a half years and uh, it's one of those podcasts where I find people will find a particular episode and then they'll go back and binge it from the beginning. <laughs> and uh, it is yes. designed to take you on a journey through the things that you need to know as part of building or renovating. And I lo have loved how 
that podcast has been and the website has been able to reach and help homeowners. I know that there, uh, I get messages all the time from people that I will never meet, I will never see their homes, I will never, um, you know, uh, meet them in person. But Undercover Architect has been a part of their journey in building and uh, renovating and it's such a privilege to be able to help them in that way you know when we're creating our family homes uh, they have such a long-lasting impact not only on the life that we live in them but the life that we live beyond them and um, you'd only you know if you're doing your family home you only do it once or twice in your life generally and I want people to get it right the first time Um, so that's what Undercover Architect is really about being uh, your secret ally and uh, helping you have the knowledge information and confidence you need. Yeah beautiful Thanks so much. So uh, can you tell us your website? Yeah, it's just undercoverarchitect.com. Super easy. <laughs> and the podcast is called the podcast is called Get It Right with Undercover Architect. And you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, so it's a pl- been a pleasure to have you on Real Estate Right, Amelia. Thanks again for coming on to our little podcast. We have all got to start somewhere, don't we? And I really do appreciate your time and effort to help us on our podcasting journey you're so welcome next week we have the lovely nicole jacobs on again nicole jacobs renowned for her buyer's advocacy work on the block is on to talk to us about thinking outside the square when buying your first home it's a fabulous episode for those starting out or for those wanting to help their kids be armed with knowledge so don't miss it Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted, written and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music and Zoom for our video link. If you love this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate us with five stars and review us on your favourite podcast platform. Or if you would like to ask one of our experts a question on the podcast, email your questions to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.